0: Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature.
1: Now it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Dead Prank Podcast. I am very happy to say that Emma and I are joined today by Rebecca Soffer, who is a speaker, writer, publisher, fellow grief friend, founder of the brilliant Modern Loss, and she has just released a handy book on grief, which we can't wait to share more information with you on. So thank you so much for joining us today, Rebecca.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, It's a delight.
1: What I love, Rebecca, is that in this country, we can't deal with it because we come to you on the hottest day of the year in about 100 years. Um, and we cannot deal yeah. with heat in this country so much so that you were just saying it's made it to the New York Times podcast this morning that you were listening to. <laughs> and it sounded like there was some kind of apocalypse happening over here.
2: Yes, it look they are making it sound like you're all like crawling in melted tar because <laughs> all you want to do is like stand on a tarmac at the airport or like cross a bridge because you're like well it's you know in in the U.S. we still for an inex- inexplicable reason use Fahrenheit. It's like a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. I th- I feel like taking a ten kilometer walk, and so like, it <laughs> sound like you're all like your feet are like just stuck in like melted sidewalk. Um, and I know it's probably not the case. Hopefully, you're not all trying to take leisurely walks and you're staying <laughs> indoors and you know, taking care of yourselves, but it is a bleak scene. And it's definitely like I would say that the climate grief is very real. And the Mm. the thinking that we're all just screwed is super prevalent (laughs) these days. Yeah.
0: Oh, we're all fucked. As you said previously, we're all fucked guys. (laughs)
2: well we we are we are all fucked I I, it wasn't my plan to start with an obscenity but yeah it it kind of definitely feels like we're all fucked I'm here for it we (laughs) might as well find some salve in community and in you know sharing stories and kind of bonding with each other as as the ship goes
1: down as it were or the earth goes aflame I guess I was gonna ask you how you are but you've kind of Explained how we all are. There, we're all fucked. So, thank you. Yeah, 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 I love it.
2: Um, (laughs) I'm hot and I'm fucked apparently, (laughs) just like
1: everybody. (laughs) Um, Rebecca, can you just tell us, please, for anybody listening who doesn't know or isn't aware of your grief story, can you talk us through it, please?
2: My grief story is, well, I would say my my primary ones are that when I was 30 years old, uh, my mom, her name is Shelby, she was killed in a car accident. And I was working in a daily television show, which was quite popular here in the US, um, led by Stephen Colbert, who's a quite famous comedian, uh, political satire. And I was a producer for that show when she died. And I was just kind of like starting to build my life. I was living in New York and I had just gotten my graduate degree in journalism and I just kind of was in build mode. And then all of a sudden I was in loss mode as well, and I was still in build mode, and it just felt really confusing and really isolating and, and incredibly excruciating, as anybody who's listening to this podcast probably knows or can imagine. Um, you know, all of a sudden, I was we- I was out without like I felt like a rudderless. You know, like my mom was uh, my best friend, and she really was my most trusted person, and. To have her suddenly gone and gone in a pretty violent way was extremely foundation-shaking. And I Mm -hmm. felt like the landscape of my life was completely unrecognizable. And I also felt like it was really obvious very early on how isolating it is to live with profound loss and especially do it as a younger person when you're surrounded by people who Hopefully, the majority of them don't understand what you're going through, um, and then you also really desperately want them to know that you're still one of them too. Mm-hmm. Like you still like a dirty joke, and you still want to go out for a drink. I'm still fun, I swear. Yeah, like you still kind of, you know, want to binge watch Fleabag, you know, all those things, you know. But you also need to talk about the fact that something real happened to you, mm-hmm. and not feel like you're being encouraged to brush it, you know, under the rug, pretend it didn't happen, pretend that. That there's a timeline on it, or like it isn't super messy, you know. And so that was my experience. um, And then four years after my mom died, my dad died. So between the ages of 30 and 34, both of my parents died. And that was absolutely not in my life plans. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that you're talking to me today uh, is because out of those two enormous losses came Modern Loss, which is my project that I co-founded with my friend Gabby Berkner in 2013. And it really was a direct result of the isolation that both of us felt in grief and also just the real need to build community around it that didn't feel lame, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm here.
0: What a story. I mean, to be so young and to have lost both parents, how do you think your life changed after your mum died? And then how do you think your life changed after your dad died? Because I feel like once your dad died, like you identify as an orphan, don't you? You're suddenly, you know, you're parentless, which I think changes your identity completely.
2: It does. Like, it's interesting. I would say that when my mom died, I mean, first it was sudden. I mean, I had honestly just seen her an hour beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. I had said goodbye to her and I was supposed to see her a week later at a wedding. And we had mm-hmm. just finished a family camping trip. I mean, I literally just spent like 24-7 with her for a week. Um wow. And my parents dropped me off at my apartment in New York City, and they continued to Philadelphia, which is the city where I grew up and where they were living, still living at the time. And on the way from New York to Philadelphia, there was a car accident where she lost her life. And um, I would say that the first loss was really um, shattering for me in its surprise, in its very nature of the fact that she was my mother. And not all of us have amazing relationships with our moms, you know, or mm-hmm. it, that's that doesn't mean that it's not a really profound loss. Like any connection, you know, any 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 quality of connection with a parent is a profound loss because it, it's, mm-hmm. you know, one of your parents. But in my case, I was super close with her. She was my best friend. She was the person I could let it all hang out with. She was my safe person, you know. And yeah. so the sudden absence of that and the realization that I was going to have to go through my life and try and hit all these milestones without her, without her support and encouragement and just joy you know and and mm-hmm. logistical help and every and witnessing, and also the loss of that all the witness that I had in her of. My entire past, you know, that was really, really hard for me because I also just loved her presence so much. And also, she was the real hub of our family. So, she was the yeah. person who had all the energy, who was super vivacious. Like, all the holidays were at my parents' place. Mm. And if you can't tell, I have a lot of energy, <laughs> you know, like I think I'm super vivacious. <laughs> Which is <so> but, lovely. <laughs> you know, but like, but and, and so I felt like I kind of inherited all that and all that responsibility. And, um, I didn't know how to handle, like, how do I become the hub? Like, how do I, you know, bring everybody together? And it just felt like this enormous responsibility. Um, and so that was extremely hard. Uh, when my dad died, I would say the difference was, yes, there was the grief. Like, my dad and I were super close. Um, my parents and I as a unit were super close. Um it was a bit more existential, like you say, because I really did, like, I was like, oh my God, like, I'm a fucking orphan. <laughs> like, mm. and I'm like, oh wait, but you're 34. You're like a Can grown you say woman. that? <laughs> you know, like, can you say that? Exactly. Mm. But, you know, yeah, sure. You can say whatever you want to say, you know, and I didn't have a better word for it. I just had mm. two dead parents. And for me, my dad's death was just this existential you know, um, realization that there was nothing before me anymore and there was nothing after me because I didn't have kids yet. And I just really felt like I was snipped free <laughs> and like there was nothing connecting me to anything that was familiar anymore. Um, and that I had really lost the the last main witness to my life um, because I do have half-brothers from my dad's uh, previous marriage, but you know, we, we weren't raised together. They're much older than I am and I'm an only child between my parents. And so it was really just super lonely, you know, when he died and I just felt, I was like, who, like who's gonna, who am I gonna talk to about all this stuff? Like who's gonna have the frame of reference besides
1: myself for anything that I need to talk about anymore? Did you feel like you had to relearn who you are and gain a new identity? I think I really needed to be reminded that I was still me,
2: actually, because, yeah. you know, I'm somebody who I'm not a therapist, you know, like I'm not I'm a social worker. I'm like, I'm not in I, I, I don't have like a license in the world of mental health. I'm a writer. I'm a like, I'm a journalist. I'm a producer. I worked in political satire. I worked in comedy. <laughs> and so like my goal was to do really amazing things in media. And to just be joyful and to suck the marrow out of life. And I didn't know exactly how, but like that was just kind of my goal was to live a very full life. And, you know, in the wake of my parents' deaths, I felt very much like I was scrambling to figure out who I was. Um, like, what was my role? What was I supposed to be? Was I supposed to be like the grieving girl? But like that felt really sad all the time. Um, was I supposed to be like somebody who was OK with it? But like that felt disingenuous, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I eventually realized, and it took me a very long time because I feel like society is against you. Like it wants you to be over something after a year or it wants you to like, you know, like be okay if you're served a platitude. Like, you know, like, oh, like at least you were close. Like it wants you to be like, you're right. At least I was close with her. It's all better now, you know? Yeah, (laughs) that's ridiculous. I'm not grieving anymore. Yeah. So like what I realized was, you know it was like a hard, it was hard learning it took me a very long time which was that i felt like myself when i connected with joyful moments i felt like myself when i found myself laughing even like at totally inappropriate dark like gallows humor <laughs> things because i was like oh right i'm still in here like this is a part of me that i recognize i don't actually recognize um a lot of the dark stuff that's coming up because I've never been through this before. Like I've never had a dad die. I've never had a mom die. So like these mm-hmm. are all like new parts of, they're, it's all me, but it's like new facets of me that mm-hmm. I'm reacting to, you know, in the wake of these losses. But the laughter is something I recognize and like the mm-hmm. giggling. And like, I'm going to hold on to those moments whenever they pop up because that is what makes me feel like myself again. It's like, oh, you're still in there, Rebecca. Like you, yeah. you're still in there. And so outside of that, you know, dark humor and the joy, I really did learn that all I had to do was be honest with myself about where I was at in any given time with how I was living with loss, right? Like, I didn't have to be all depressed. I didn't have to be all happy. I didn't have to be all, you know, like brushing it under the rug. I could have everything coexist. And that was okay. Um, I realized that the most important thing for me was to feel like I could share my narrative and like, you know, not in like this like poetic way, like share my narrative, but like really get to a point where I was telling a friend, you know what, I felt like I was okay. So today's, today's like really hard for some reason. And like, I think that I, can you just take me out and like not talk about anything serious? Like, or you know what I need? I really need you to invite me over because I don't want to be alone. Like I, I I got better at like figuring out what I needed on a micro level. And not worrying so much about like what the macro existence looked like because I don't have much control over that.
0: Yeah, that all resonates so much, and I think I'm interested to hear because obviously you started Modern Loss in was it 2013? Yeah, 2013. Yeah, that has really grown with you and your grief, which is very similar to me in in the podcast. Like I started that sort of five, five years ago, so do you feel like the person that you are when you're sharing stuff from that platform now has changed over time? Like, do you kind of look back at the things that you would share in 2013, 2015? And then how you approach grief now and think, wow, I've really come on a journey here.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I don't share that much of myself um, Mm. through Modern Loss. I do on social media, because I feel like uh, you know, modern loss is very voicey, which is like it's got a yeah. lot of personality. And that's on yeah. purpose. I mean, I really started it because I felt like there was a lack of, you know, connection points that were very casual and like not focused on mm-hmm. therapy or like cheesiness or religion, you know, just like community, you know, like yeah. casual conversation. There's a reason that, you know, a- a- the tagline of Modern Loss is called, you know, candid conversation on grief, mm-hmm. beginners welcome, because it's like, we're all messing up all the time. Like, that's cool. And we're all learning. Even me, like, my mom died 15 years ago, like, I'm still learning. Because like mm-hmm. you said, um, I am my life is moving forward. And so my experience with loss is evolving and I'm Mm -hmm. regarding my mom and my dad in different ways as life goes on. And I take on different roles like parenthood or like being married or working and, you know, just like all these things or getting older. And so, yes, of course, my experience with with uh, loss evolves. It's a it's a very living organism, my loss, you know, because I'm alive. Um, But modern loss was really started to spark like a platform for everybody to share their stories. Uh, You know, it is. In its essence, it's an online publication, not a blog. You know, it really is like we don't take most of our pitches because it's very like high quality editing and we spend a lot of time on the pieces. And we really want to give other people the chance to share their stories in ways that are raw and vulnerable and real and looking at the underbelly of all of it, like the dark stuff, the funny stuff, like all the stuff that like we know goes on, but we don't talk about, you know, outside of the shadow sometimes because we don't want people to think we're crazy or like awful. (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, like mean or whatever. When I started Modern Loss, I definitely did not speak uh, through the site as myself. And I barely wrote for it. Now I feel more comfortable as the years have gone on. I mostly use my voice on the Instagram account,
1: Uh, you know,
2: not on the website, not on any Mm -hmm. other like the Facebook or whatever. The Instagram account is definitely more where I feel myself sharing like my tone, my experience. And I feel a lot more confident kind of, alluding to some of my personal experiences as they relate to things going on in the world and as those things relate to grief and loss. So I have become more comfortable at kind of, um, God, I mean, I've definitely hurled a lot of obscenities already in this conversation, but like (laughs) giving less fucks about what people think of me. Um, Yeah. You know, I, I have become, I have really come to stand in how I feel about, say, you know, uh, abortion and maternal related health, and mm-hmm. my, you know, I I'm exceedingly uh, pro-choice, and you know, as you know, there have been a lot of awful things happening in the United States, and I have just tried to use my platform for shedding a light on, you know, those things and how it makes me feel, and giving people uh, an invitation to share how it makes them feel, uh, because I, you know, I feel like I've really been given an opportunity to be a conversation hub, you know, mm-hmm. and let people share their narratives. So yes, like I feel like I, I don't share that much about myself outside of books and stuff. Um, yeah. But I have become more comfortable sharing aspects of myself as it relates to giving other people the chance to do the same. And I don't care. Like, I don't care what people think. I don't care if people are turned off, like, if I use humour. I don't care if people think that, like, you know, I'm a little too snarky sometimes. I I just don't care because I don't believe I'm being disrespectful at all. I just believe that you can't please all the people all the time. And so I'm just me.
1: Humour is always welcome here, Rebecca. We, uh, we thrive off it. Yes, I have noticed. (laughs) Much appreciated. Um, (laughs) Can you just talk us through the Modern Loss Handbook in terms of the areas that you cover? So that if somebody is listening to this and they're thinking, oh, could I do with that? They know what it kind of breaks down. Sure.
2: So the Modern Loss Handbook, the subtitle is An Interactive Guide to Moving Through Grief and Building Your Resilience. And my first book um, was which came out four years ago, is more of a collection of essays and mm-hmm. cartoons. And this book is very, it's its just bylined by me. I wrote the whole thing, you know. It was Brilliant. terrifying. It was very <laughs> overwhelming. Um, but the reason that I wrote it, I guess the primary reason is because I really do wish that someone had handed me something like this after my mom died and after my dad died. And at any point in time, not like the day yeah. after they died, but any time after they died. Like, I really <laughs> wish that I had been given something that had a lot of pages between two covers that had many ideas and many kind of strong opinions that had the caveat that you can take them or leave them because they are not all necessarily going to work for you. But this is what someone else has learned who like maybe I as the reader can relate to like in their in their voice and their tone. This is what I have learned about the long arc of loss. And this is what I have learned about how to stay connected to your person through like ritual and memory and getting through trigger days and like reframing holidays. This is what I've learned about staying connected to myself with regard to, you know, caring for my mind and my body, like figuring out like, if there are good therapies that might work for me, figuring out how to deal with anxiety and get better sleep, like, you know, and and deal with nightmares and dreams, because these are all very real things mm. that accompany grief and, and longer loss, you know. And then the third thing is, you know, I really wanted to know how somebody could tell me um, ideas for staying connected to the world around me, because I still needed to deal with my friends and my acquaintances. I still needed to meet new people. I still had to deal with colleagues. I still had to deal with work. And like wondering why everyone cared about work when like my mom was dead, you know, I still had to date. And so all of these things, like these primary goals, staying connected to yourself, your person, and the world around you, what I have realized, Rebecca, over the course of many years is that those three pillars if you can hit them, you know, and not like th- feeling like you've got them every single day, like because mm-hmm. like who does, you know. But if you feel like you generally know how to do those things, that's when I feel like you really are creating some meaning and resilience in the wake of a really, really hard thing. And I know we're all sick of the word resilience. Like, that's fine. It's a buzzword. But, you know, and we're probably sick of being told that we're resilient three years into a pandemic. Um, You know, but I believe that resilience looks like being in a total mess, too. Like, it just really, to me, resilience does not look like, you know, being very clearly the strongest person in the room, emotionally Mm -hmm. or physically. You know, to me, resilience looks like, keep it on, keep it on, even if you look like a complete mess when you're doing it Um, and looking and wonky and awkward and confused and two steps forward, five steps back while you're doing it. And so that's why I wrote the book. And the reason that it came out now is because in March 2020, when COVID hit and, you know, I was living in New York City and was a New Yorker for 20 years. um, The modern lost community all around the world all of a sudden needed so many connection points because everybody was stuck at home and everybody was like dealing with all these layers of grief, right? Not just like resurfaced grief, but like new grief, like people were dying, but also they couldn't go to their jobs. They couldn't go to their brunch with friends that they had relied Mm -hmm. on to save their sanity. They couldn't go to that gym class, you know. so a lot of coping mechanisms were taken away. They couldn't go to in-person grief groups. And so this book was also written in response to like this overwhelming need that I felt from the growing Modern Loss community over the course of 2020 um, and my desire to meet those needs Mm -hmm. and my knowledge that I could not do it just as Rebecca, like responding to every DM or text or email. I just couldn't do it because I also was freaking out and reeling and trying to keep my shit together and had little kids and, you know, it was like a virtual teacher too. So it was like messy for everyone. And so that's why this book came out now. And sadly, I wish that there were not a need in the world for it at this moment. But the reality is, is that I think that we're all grieving desperately these days, even if it's not through a death loss. And so I think that mm-hmm. this is the time if we don't engage with this stuff now, when are we ever going to?
0: Yeah, I could not agree. I think now is the best time for us to be proactive. And I love the holistic approach you've taken, went to writing the book and all the different elements that you've covered. And um, I saw, obviously, you spoke to Dr. Joshua from about the grief dreams. We did an, an episode with him and he was fantastic and so insightful. Oh, fascinating, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think I think when I was tapping into all of that knowledge and have it in one place, is just amazing. And I especially loved when there's a part in there when you were talking about um like writing about the person that that you miss and it's actually writing about the bad stuff as well and not not just the good stuff which I think is so important and keeping that person alive as the way that they really were and not who we think that they are now that they're gone I
2: appreciate that you pointed that out because like this is not like a Pollyanna-ish book it's not like hey everything's gonna be
0: amazing.
2: Like, it's cool. Like, your uncle died for, like, a train ran (laughs) him over, but it's going to be totally fine. Like, it's just not the way that it is. I think we all know that, like, you know, grief and and the long arc of loss is is just, like, one big shade of gray. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that shade is very, very light and, like, everything feels okay. And that's cool. It should because you deserve to feel okay. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. hope that anybody is acting like, oh, I should be grieving. I should feel awful. Like, that's no... I want everybody to be okay, but like being okay sometimes looks like not being okay, you know? And so, uh, you know, this book is very forgiving, you know, but first of all, it's meant to be done in any order. Second of all, I don't care if you throw it across the room and leave it for three months. That's cool. Third, if something doesn't work for you in the moment, that's fine. Like ignore it, but it might work for you later on. I mean, Mm. I was my own guinea pig with this book and I went through the exercises. Like you both know, it's not a workbook. It's not a journal. It's a fully written book that has interactive parts, right? And so the part you're talking about, which is like remembering the tough stuff, I really wanted to include that. These are questions that really challenge you to think through some of the very obviously like unresolved issues that you might have with your person, because there is no total resolution when someone dies. And also some of the hurt and some of the, you know, the wishes, you know, and the, the you know, like the saudade, like that longing, like, is there ever a time when you wish they would have apologized for something or vice versa? Is there ever anything they did to really hurt you, that has stayed with you. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people are human beings. And I argue that remembering these very hard things are even more important than remembering that they used to make like, okay, like now I'm just like catering to your cup, like an amazing Yorkshire pudding. Um, (laughs) I mean, which now sounds kind of good, right? But like, um, you know, uh, and roast beef and, you know, like it's great to remember the nice stuff, but It will help you more, I think, to think about the hard stuff because, you know, there's that book, The Body Keeps the Score, right? It's about the body remembers all and the body Mm. is your mind too and it clenches, it holds on. And if you're holding on to this stuff, even if you're not thinking about it, it's still holding on to it. And so I really want you to kind of like think about it so that you can figure out what you need to do with it. Like now that it's here, right? Like, oh, I, this is this is something that happened that like I can't let go of, and it's really hurt me, or I can't, I I can't stop thinking that I wish I would have said this. Okay, right. You're never going to be able to say it to that person, or they're never going to be able to apologize. Okay, what can we do with it? Can you go talk to your therapist? Can you talk to a friend? Can you do something with this now to get to a point where you yourself are resolving this with yourself? Because that's all you can do. And you very much deserve to live a rich life because you are very much alive. And I'm talking as much to your listeners who are 22 years old as your listeners who are 97 years old. You know, everybody is alive until they're not. And so you deserve to live that life in the kindest way possible to yourself. But sometimes that looks like, you know, dealing with some hard things.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads
1: and still lost 50 pounds In terms of your own well-being, though, Rebecca, how do you look after yourself? How do you, I imagine that is just something that you have to try and do as your own life goes on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that I, when I started Modern Loss, I definitely didn't think so much about, okay, like, how will this be something that I can do um, every day? And like not feel overwhelmed by it because it's my day-to-day thing. And also I live with loss personally, (laughs) like, is that going to get overwhelming? You know? And, um, I very much view Modern Loss, my work with Modern Loss, as very life-affirming. And so for the most part, it is a a wonderful thing. Like, I love it, it drives me. Like, I've seen readers pop up all over the world um, and community members, and it drives me because it makes me feel like this community is helping people to live better, you know, Um, and connect with each other. And so to me, that's very, like, motivating. However, um, especially over the course of the last couple of years during COVID and during isolation and during so much in my country, like of a total shit show politically and a lot of really scary things, to be completely honest with you. I have realized that I, I do have to kind of take steps to take care of myself when I feel like things are getting too overwhelming. Um, I have friends who are trauma therapists who haven't stopped working at all since March 2020, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they describe something called compassion fatigue. And it's like when they feel like, oh, they're hitting this wall and they literally cannot like access feelings yeah. of compassion for a client. And I think that's a very natural thing because like, I mean, you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. Like there's no possible way. And so they have come up with ways to refill their cup. And so the same with me. I mean, I talk about grief all the time um, and in a very specific way in the last couple of years as it relates to like a million people dying in the United States or, you know, um, (laughs) like school shootings and children Mm -hmm. dying from gun violence and feelings of fear um, or maternal related uh, deaths stemming from overturning abortion rights, and these are primarily in the United States, but it can get very overwhelming to me um, because it's not necessarily what I thought I was signing up for when I started Modern Loss. Mm -hmm. The world looked a little different, Um, but I still want to keep doing it, and I just kind of have learned to fold things like exercise into my workday and literally define it as part of my work day. Like I will block off times where, I mean, this morning I just went for a uh, a 20 kilometer bike ride. And Ooh, well um, done. It, yeah, I I was very proud of myself. It's I actually beat, I beat my personal record. Um, <laughs> nice. And I was really, I I almost didn't do it uh, because I knew I had this interview with you and I I was on deadline for writing something. And I was like, oh God, I'm not gonna have enough time. But then I I was like, no, 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 like this is work. Like, I can't do the other work unless I do this. It's just not going to be as good. Like, I'm going to be tense. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be tired. I'm not going to have the energy. Um, and so I did it. And it's like a fit. It's every single time it works. And so everybody has to figure out what they need to, you know, refill their cup or, you know, like, I guess at this point, we need a well, you know, what do we need and and get it and give it to yourself. And it's definitely, sure, it's a selfish thing, but like in the best possible definition, of selfishness, right? You can't give to others until you're giving to yourself.
0: Yeah, I completely resonate with that. I know that in the, in the handbook, you cover a lot of different themes, you know, like going through big life events, all sorts. But what is it, what particular section or theme do you feel has the potential to have the biggest kind of profound effect on somebody once they're processing all of that? Is there a certain part of the book that you really resonate with, and is your sort of favorite?
2: Oh my gosh! I mean, you know, that's like choosing a child. You know, like <laughs> a child, and I have two kids, and like one of them will tell you who the favorite one is, and uh, <laughs> I, and uh, he's he's so sure he knows. Um, but no, I love both of them equally. But um, you know, I I do think it's hard because I really do feel very proud of this book because I feel like it's very much me. Um, Mm -hmm. I wrote it during a time that was such such an awful time in the world. And I felt very privileged to have been given a book contract and a deadline and a mandate to Mm -hmm. do a project and focus during a time that felt so overwhelming and scary. So I really see myself in every sentence and I see that I stayed true to my voice. And that's something that I'm very proud of because I think writers can get very self-conscious and they can get very precious about what they're writing and like, oh, does it sound Mm -hmm. smart enough or whatever? Mm -hmm. And I honestly just like, not that I didn't care. Like, of course it went through many edits, but like, I, I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I have to say, you know, and let's make it read as well as possible. So to pick a favorite part of the book is really hard but I I will say that you know you both know there's a lot of humor in the book I mean it's got a lot of you know it's very tongue-in-cheek there's a lot of it's very well
0: written like it's thank you isn't it makes a very hard topic easy to read right you know and like the
2: entire thing and but I uh, the entire thing is like my look my thesis is that as someone who used to work in comedy I think that if you have something really important, a theme that is really overwhelming and kind of scary to people that you want to get messages across about, you can do it in a way that scares the shit out of people. <laughs> and they'll listen because you're freaking them out, but you are they're never going to come back again, right? So you'll get your message across, but you're not engaging them. Or you can do it in this way, which is like, honest and let it all hang out and kind of messy and like kind of funny sometimes because it's it's just like showing them that like this isn't it's not going to bite you like you're not going to you know like things aren't going to get worse just because you're reading about this like the worst yeah. probably already <laughs> happened you know and I'm just kind of here to like make sure that you feel normalized in what is actually a very normal human experience which is grief which I feel like as the world, we're always in danger of pathologizing as like, you know, something that's actually wrong with you, as opposed to something that literally anybody who cares about any living thing is going to experience. But I would say that if I had to choose one part that I was glad that I could flesh out, um, it it, it would be the chapter on friendships, on navigating and negotiating friendships and social dynamics. And that's because... I don't think we talk enough about how our social connections are a secondary loss after a primary loss, right? Like, and not just like, oh, like my sister died and like now I'm dealing with friend issues. No, no, no. Any hard thing in life. Like you could have just gotten divorced or like Mm. maybe you're dealing with an illness and you will notice that some people can hang with that and some Mm. people cannot, And then some people will come out of the woodwork for you. And there will be people who support you, who you never imagined would support you. And you'll meet people along the way who you never thought could be your people. But then you'll lose people along the way because they're being toxic to you or they're not making you feel good about yourself or like they just kind of can't deal, you know? And so I really wanted to talk about that more because I feel like, you know, I lost a couple friends after my mom died. It wasn't through fighting. It was because people just couldn't deal with it. They, it made them very uncomfortable. They couldn't relate. And if we can't relate, then it feels foreign. If it feels foreign, it feels scary, you know? And they just couldn't sit with me in my discomfort and my sadness and my darkness. Um They couldn't do it. They didn't want to because it was too overwhelming for them. And maybe they were triggered in something or maybe they felt impotent because they couldn't fix it. Who knows? There are a million reasons. And most of those reasons are about them, not us. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, I wanted to talk more about that because I felt like in a handbook about loss, it would be a kindness to just be up front and be like, listen, you're probably going to lose some friends. (laughs) (laughs) It sucks, but it's going to happen. But here's what we've got to say about this. Right. And I just felt like it would be so much easier to just be upfront about it than Mm -hmm. have people learn the hard way, which was for me to be completely shocked by when people just really didn't show up who I assumed would. Um, and there are sections in that chapter literally, like, prompts that, like, I challenge you to, like, write responses to dumbass things that people will say to you. Like, at least you were close or, like, at least they got to see you married or you can always have another baby. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, my God, you know, like, come on. Um, these don't make <laughs> people feel better. But this, these are things that acquaintances and dear friends will say to you when you have a loss. And most of the time we're stuck with our jaws open. Cause we're so stunned by like the ridiculous aspect of those words and those platitudes. Um, and we don't really have a comeback. And then later on, we're like, Oh, I wish I had stood up for myself. I wish I had said, Hey, that really did not work for me. Um, what Ooh. might work if you, is if you said this. And so I really go through different scenarios in the book where I'm like, listen, someone might say this to you. If they say this to you, I want you to practice what you might say in response. Because for me, like, Script writing is actually really helpful. Um, it's nice to have things in your back pocket that you can use in the moment. The entire book is about, you know, I'm giving you an
1: empty toolbox and like, here are all the tools that you can choose to fill it with. Rebecca, if there was a single piece of advice that you could give to somebody going through a similar experience to yours, just one single brutally honest piece of advice, what would it be? <sighs> Let me think of that.
2: Bye. Yeah. But did you just say buy the book?
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I mean, you said that, Kat, not me. So, okay. So Kat's single piece of advice to people are that they should buy the Modern Lost Handbook. here, And I, I co-sign that. But um, separately, I honestly would say do not care what anybody else thinks. As long as you aren't hurting yourself or anyone else, who the hell cares how you do your experience with grief? Who cares? You shouldn't care. Because if it makes you feel better, that's a good thing. If you want to, you know... I don't know, like, come up with a bespoke holiday in your dad's honor that involves like streaking naked through like the park uh, on his. Birthday. I mean, like, that's very weird. That's very but like, you know, if you really want to do that, like, sure, like, whatever, like, just you do you not know, like, any laws for yourself. Um, but like, you know, you do you, like, great. If that makes you feel better, if you feel like you would rather, you know, not celebrate Christmas with your extended family on any given year because just the memories are too overwhelming and you just want to like, Get out of Dodge or just stay at home and like watch really bad movies, and that's what you feel like you need for yourself. You do you, you do that. Don't Mm -hmm. care about what other people think. You don't have to be jerks to them, but just say, This is what I need right now. Because if you kind of like do your grief and your loss according to what others would like you to do, (laughs) you're not going to be helping yourself at all. You're going to be living someone else's life, and you know, it's not going to help anyone. And then by extension, it's not going to help you be a better friend to them, a better relative to them. You're just going to resent them. So yeah, like you do you. Don't care about what anyone thinks as long as you're hurting nobody.
0: Solid pieces of advice. Thank you so much.
2: And I think so, you know, like, because we really do care, like, and we just spend too much time caring. And I know that we do care because I monitor all the conversations on Modern Loss and people are like, oh, like, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer in my friend group or like, oh, my, you know, like, my like, yada yada is going to be upset if I don't show up at Thanksgiving. And it's like, okay, like, whatever, like, the worst has already happened. You Mm. lost your person. So like, It's not going to be worse that you don't show up at Thanksgiving. It's not going to be worse that you tell your friends that you're seriously struggling and like you don't know what to do for yourself right now, but like you need to know that they're there for you. Like these are not worse than what already happened. So you do you and don't care about what anybody else thinks because one day they're going to be in your situation. And if you have been really true to your own experience and your narrative and figuring out what you need for yourself, then you're going to have taught them what they should be doing for themselves. And in journalism, the first rule is show, don't tell. So I just believe in a very lofty, you know, like heal the world kind of way that we're all we all have enormous potential to move the needle at a global level level on how we deal with and support other people who live with loss. I really believe that we're all experts, all of us who are dealing with it. So we're all teachers. And by extension, we're all examples. So
0: like, let's be the best examples we possibly can. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. It's brilliant. One of the ways we like to wrap up this podcast, because we think it's an extremely important question to ask and you will know yourself the power of storytelling and sharing your own narrative. So we like to ask our guests what one of their favorite stories is about their parent or their parents, either together or separately. we would love to hear you share it?
2: Oh, my gosh. I wasn't expecting that one. Let's see. Oh, well. This is just germane because I just came back from dragging my whole family on a camping trip. Um, <laughs> and interestingly, the night my mom died was when we were coming back from that same family camping trip. We I grew up camping um, in a beautiful place in New York State in the middle of a, a huge lake, um, glacial lake called Lake George, on these beautiful islands. And um, it's just my favorite place in the world. And uh, it was really hard for me to go there for many years after my mom died because she literally died the night we were coming back from that trip. Mm -hmm. Um, And fast forward, well, gosh, like 15 years. And I have two little kids now. I have two little boys. They're five and eight. And they Mm -hmm. love camping. And they love Lake George. And it's the most magical place to them. And I feel so lucky that I've been able to show this to them, like pass along this love to them because I feel like in some ways that is my truest inheritance from my parents, this beautiful place that I loved. It's not a ring. It's not like a piece of artwork. You know, it's a place and it's a feeling Mm -hmm. of magic. And like my kids are never going to meet my parents and that's never going to be okay. Because they're never going to get to benefit from how amazing my mom and dad was. And my mom and dad, or mom and dad were, and my mom and dad are never going to get to benefit from how amazing my kids are. And they're all robbed, Mm -hmm. right? But what I really love about these trips is that it's a really natural place for me to share stories about them with my Mm -hmm. kids, a really organic place. And so we were having a campfire um, the other night and we were roasting marshmallows. And I was telling my kids about um, Grandpa Ray. And he was like, he had all these crazy, amazing, weird traditions on our campsite. Like he like never cooked at home, but he was the only person who cooked on the campsite. And so I was telling them how, you know, he would wake everybody up every morning with a Tarzan yell, which by the way, sounds a little <laughs> innocuous, but but when you think about we're on a lake, like he literally woke up like hundreds of people because we were in this lake and there were all these, you know, like there, everything was everywhere. Right. So um, so I, I was telling him how Grandpa Ray would wake everybody up by yelling like Tarzan and. <laughs> Then I I made these sandwiches for them that um, my dad called toastites and they're really just like paninis by the way like most oh. humans call them paninis but they're, they're they're cooked over like a Coleman stove and like an in cast iron and you know if you do them right then you really burn the hell out of them and you give everybody <laughs> you know probably cancerous cells and <laughs> and and they're so delicious right and I made um, a peanut butter and marshmallow toastite mm-hmm. for my kids and mm-hmm. they just loved it and I they were charred black and it was like, I was like, oh my dad would have loved this and then I told them this was all in the span of like a couple hours just this one day last week, you can only get to this campsite via boat and I I rent a speedboat every year to get there and I, I drive boats and they were like, oh mom like, you know, I will say, they were like, you're such a good like, you go so fast, it's so fun when you drive and I was like, listen your grandpa Ray he turned our boat when I was a kid into a pirate ship one year and he put a pirate flag up and we wore or patches and we like pretended like we were like on the high seas instead of like in this lake like going to get a popsicle on this island and oh. um and so it's not just I, I guess one story it's just for me it's the beauty of realizing that like places can be yeah. real conduits to memory and they can really serve as natural organic places to have conversations that you may not feel like you can have on any given day. And so for me, I'm very grateful for this place in the world. Um, Because it keeps me very connected to my parents. And it keeps me feeling like I can connect them to my children. And I don't always feel that, you know, um, Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful to know that it's there. It's like a magical time machine for me.
0: I love that. I love that you've referenced the place.
1: Yeah, it is. It's so, so lovely because your whole face lit up, Rebecca, the whole time you were talking about that place and the memories that it (laughs) evoked. And that was, that's just lovely. Like the, the, image that you painted when you said about your dad turning it into a pirate ship when you were, you know, you're actually just on a light getting a popsicle. It's like you get an idea of the man that he was and what your childhood was like and for you to be able to share those stories with your children, like you say, it keeps them alive to them. It shows them the kind of characters that they were and that is so important in terms of legacy. So thank you for sharing that with so many of us (laughs) listeners. We are so grateful for that.
2: Thank you for letting me share. I really appreciate that. That was really special for me.
0: Before we wrap up, please, can you let everybody that's listening know where they can find out more about you, the Modern Loss Handbook, all of that important information
2: sure so my name is rebecca sofer and um i am on all the socials at Rebecca sofer, soffer mm-hmm. um i was i was forced to make my instagram account public by, by my <laughs> literary agent who was like you have another book coming out you're going to don't be annoying like just like and so it's like public and i was always private yeah. um but also at Modern Loss everywhere on Twitter, Facebook, and especially Instagram, which is, I would say, my favorite social platform to be mm. you know, moderating the Modern Loss community. And then, of course, the website is ModernLoss.com, which has thousands of free pieces, thousands of personal essays narrowly focused around one aspect of grief and loss and the long arc of it all, and resource pieces and columns on grief in the body and how-tos and all this amazing stuff. And I'm so proud of everything. Everybody mm-hmm. who contributed to that. Because, like I said, I've written like five total pieces over it. That's not the point of it. It's not about Rebecca, it's about everybody. So, definitely go to modernloss.com. And when you're there, there will be probably a pop-up asking if you want to sign up for the newsletter. And the newsletter is more of like a deep dive that goes out once a month. And we do have a premium community which offers virtual sessions every month. So we do like yoga for grief support. We do mindfulness sessions. We did a session with that guy, Josh Black, about dreams. I just did a session about um, my um, nature healing, about like ways to engage with nature and manage like anxiety and feelings of grief and so we have all these ongoing connection points for our community that have come out of this time of isolation that you know have just been built by necessity and um you know for a very small amount of money um that helps me to offer 99% of modern losses online content for free for to everybody Mm -hmm. um and of course finally my book is called the modern loss handbook an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience and it is available wherever books are sold it's available in the uk and australia and it's coming out in italian in september so Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm just you know really proud of it i feel like it's the thing that is is i think it's the product that is like most me that i've ever you know put out there so i hope everybody gives it Mm -hmm. a chance
0: Thank you so much. So appreciate your
2: time. Yeah, thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. And thanks for this amazing podcast. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.